die just happened to someone. I was inflicted upon a whole person. I'm amazing. Hello and welcome to World One Stage One. I am Simon. I'm Troy. And I'm Mike again. Hi, Internet. <laughs> and still so pleased. This week, I am. Uh, our conversation has somewhat run on. So, Troy, you wanted to introduce this one. Uh, it's somewhat inspired by your own wishes to do a show and somewhat inspired by a post literally just made now by Kazon Nistrum on the forum about DLC. Absolutely. This is, this is one which cropped up mostly as a response to... The question, should we do a Valve show? Because I, I wanted to explore the idea of, you know, what has Steam given us? Because it comes up often in our show. We always joke about it. Steam comes up. The Steam sale. You can buy this on Steam. And wow, isn't that significant? Yeah, it has. Uh, it, it's certainly representative of a new era for distribution, not just for video games, but for almost all media. And this is what we wanted to do with this show. This is World 1 Stage 1, investigating the digital age. Now, obviously, this is a retro video gaming podcast, retro and classic, so talking about something like the digital age is actually quite out there. It's it is. It doesn't fit us, really. It's kind of off-topic, but then again, one of our most successful shows in our history... I'm just going to pause whilst Mike adjusts his microphone. It, it just suddenly went that way. It, it <laughs> no, will no, do. No, no. Don't pause. Mike's adjusting himself. That's fine. That's true to life. Yeah, continue. One of our most successful episodes in World 1 Stage 1 history has been where we took a moment to address a very modern controversy when we dealt with the issue of uh, Manhunt. Really? Yeah, that was one of our most successful episodes for a very long time, and I really enjoyed doing it um, because it was... Talking about something very relevant and very current. Manhunt's uh-huh. a terrible game. It is a terrible game, but it was more the controversy <laughs> and video game controversy in general we were talking about. But DLC, whilst it Im- immediately it seems completely off topic, it's not. Because one of the first things I want to say is digital distribution has democratized the publication of video games where individuals can put a game onto an iPhone, an iPad, onto the Xbox through Xbox Live Arcade, onto PCs through Steam, which has a lot of indie games on it. Correct. Onto the PS3 through PlayStation Network, onto the Wii through WiiWare. And this is anyone from an individual upwards. So what you see is a rebirth of the garage game, which is something we fucking love around here at World 1 Stage 1. Small indie titles that are pushing the boundaries, experimenting, and coming up with great ideas. That's a retro concept. And it used to be the fact that a video game didn't require a lot of investment because computers were simple, graphics were simple. Nowadays, it takes a multi-million dollar budget to get onto a high street shelf. But it doesn't take much to get onto a download. When there is no shelf, when there is no overhead to pay, when there is nothing other than the server space that you inhabit, how much do you cost to put out there? Exactly. I'm doing it Mm. as an individual. It's currently my business model. So it's definitely something worth talking about. But yes, it was you deeply wanted to do this, and it just kicked off a conversation. Um, 
let's fess up full um full reveal here we're basically recording immediately after our halo show yeah because we just Mm. sat around and started talking about this topic and i said well why aren't we recording this uh so yeah what why was it you so wanted to do this episode because that's interesting it's it's part of the it's part of the great debate you know the idea of uh, downloadable content, of uh, the digital rights management specifically, which is what makes us such mm. an interesting kind of perspective to take on uh, the ownership of games and how you obtain them. It is fascinating how many ways there are to get your hands on the license to a game. And the digital age, you know, downloadable content specifically, if we look at uh, business models like Steam or the Electronic Arts uh, Download Manager, various means by which... You purchase a game online, you never get yourself your hands on a physical copy, but it doesn't matter because you always have that game. Now that's provided the servers are available. As now we that know actually with came APB. up fairly recently. Gabe Newell, didn't he, on Steam, mm. turn around and say, "Look, you know, this is this is the caveat." And in Steam, is that provided the servers here are available, you'll always have your game. It would take some catastrophic failure. To really make sure that was never going to happen. Or the company going under. Do you see that Which happen? Which has... It's happened before. Do I see it happening immediately? No. Do I know what's coming in the future? No. And the fact is, when you rely on someone that you're downloading your product from, you are relying on them being there. And uh, what I will say in this regard is, does anyone out there remember Tribes 2? One of the greatest shooters of all time. True story. Uh, but then the servers went away because the company went under and one of the greatest shooters of all time could no longer be played. Hmm. Great loss. No one saw it coming. What we also heard from Gabe Newell's post, though, was that he also pointed out the technology exists to simply unlock every single game on yeah. the Steam thing. And if we were going to go under... It is a viable option. Absolutely. And, I mean, this all came up recently with Good Old Games, which is a site we've talked about on World 1 Stage mm-hmm. 1 before, because they sell good old games, which is one of our great topics. <laughs> they looked like they were going away. And a lot of people didn't have their good old games and couldn't get their good old games. As it happens, they came back with a new version of the site and everything was okay. But for a moment there, there were a lot of people worried that their investment was for naught. They had bought things they would no longer have. And this is one of the things about the modern digital age. You don't buy things to own them anymore. You buy a license to use. Well, it's it's bizarre, isn't it? It is such a double-ended sword, because hmm. double-edged sword, sorry. You, you have the license to use, yeah. but that means you have a license to use everywhere. But the, the physical copy, the I have Half-Life. As mm. an example, that's gone. I have Half Life. It's one of the last physical games I bought. It's I have it on disc. Half Life or Half Life Two? Half Life. Okay, because more modern games, and I struggle to think of one off the top of my head, but I think Half Life Two was one of them. I know mm. there are some still which require Steam activation. I think Civilization yes. Five is one, yep. one example. Uh, Civ Five certainly did. Yes, yeah. if you own. That game, what good is it to you if it requires this activation from a service which no longer You don't exists? own the game. Even when you're buying a physical copy, you're buying a license to use. Really? 
yes, the license just happens to come with a handy, convenient physical media copy of it. If it requires Steam activation, you are buying a license to use, and that is brilliant for the media producer. Because digital distribution like this has suddenly become rampant. It's not just Steam. It's not just the EA download true, manager. True, true. It's not just the Xbox Live Arcade, the PlayStation Network, games on demand on the Xbox, uh, the Wii Virtual Console, Wii Wear. Everyone's doing it. iTunes, Sony iTunes, Music Center. Lulu Publishing. Lulu Publishing, Zoom Marketplace. Uh, EPUBs, the iTunes bookstore, the app store itself on the iPhone. Suddenly, this is the model by which you get your stuff. And why have they all embraced it? Because it, they don't have to sell you anything. It puts... It's two, it's two things at once. It really puts... I mean, if you look at smaller business models like indie games, puzzles, yeah. uh, publishing, and stuff like that, it puts the publishing perspective straight... Sorry? No, not the right word. It puts the publishing straight in the hands of the developer. It democratizes publication. There we go. Who can straight away go, well, look, I, I think this this game's pretty good, this book's pretty good, this comic or whatever is good. Mm. Here we go. I'm going to put it on the marketplace. Yes. It will cost X. Yep. Whereas, what are, we, what are we missing from that? Well, this is the thing. It's something that has huge benefits and huge pitfalls. The benefits from our point of view of something like this, uh, on Steam, it's instant availability. Mm-hmm. You, know, it, you buy it, you download it, you have it. It's not necessarily true. Uh, waiting for Civ Five to unlock was... Uh, <laughs> painful! Yes, it was frustrating and painful because the countdown went to midnight our time, but it didn't unlock until 1am in the UK. Because of daylight savings time. So there was an hour where we <laughs> expected to have this product and we had paid for it. And this was the time we were told it would be delivered. And then we, it had been pre-downloaded. This is one of the great things Steam do, is they let you download it in advance. But it didn't unlock for play until 1am. And that hour it's, was so full of so difference. much vitriol and bile from the market. It's that difference of BST and GMT. They are yep. two different things, and Steam will give you one. But it's convenience. Like, patching right. a game used to be a huge deal. Go to the site, you download... Let's say, have patch 1.06 is available now. Are you patching up from 1.04 or 1.02? patching up from... There we and go. And do you have the European or the US edition? Because that matters. And now, Steam, it just goes to items downloading, downloaded, ready to play. Yeah. <laughs> what the it, fuck? It looks, at the, it looks at the content. It goes, you've got this, uh, you're in the UK. Okay, that's cool. Um, I'm rooting from the closest server. And it will just automatically patch your software. Yeah. So with Steam, what we have is an always available, with the caveat we gave before, always up to date um, game, and they they sort of manage that for you. It's it's like having a managed service. Yeah. No, I've I've had good experiences with the EA Download Manager in much the same vein of mm. you download a version of a couple, and it goes, okay, you've downloaded this version, you've included this patch. Yeah. Now. If you've got this uh, add-on, which you do, okay, we're going to patch that again. Is that okay? And you mm. go, yeah, all right, that makes sense. But it, it, it's good that it, it just everything seems to keep asking you, are you sure about this? You want this? Okay, here we <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, well. <laughs> but that convenience does come at the cost of ownership of, if I, I mean, I, I stopped playing Left 4 Dead completely when Left 4 Dead 2 came out mm-hmm. because all I... Don't enjoy the single player. It was a great multiplayer experience. And everyone I played it with was starting to play Left 4 Dead 2. 
Now, if this was a physical game, I would have traded it in or sold it or put it on eBay or whatever. But that's not the case. I don't own Left 4 Dead. I have a license, a non-transferable license. So... Excellent example. The right of first sale has disappeared. I recently traded in about £50 worth of Xbox 360 games, which I either no longer play or I have on Steam, funnily yeah. enough, uh, because I needed to pay my council tax. Hmm. Um, you know, British listeners of what I'm talking about, uh, American listeners, you'll get there eventually. Um, <laughs> it, it'll happen I'm pretty sure at they some still point. Have tax you're going to pay. <laughs> You're going to pay to subsidize the country. It'll happen. Um, I'm not bitter at all that I pay for the property I already live in. But uh, secondary point is that I went to my local game store and I said, yep. hey, I've, I've got these games. I need some money. Mm. You know, the secondhand market, which is where games, uh, sorry, games, stores like Electronics Boutique over in America, yep. GameStop. Yep. Game Station, Game mm-hmm. Over Here. There's a lot of games in those names. I just lost it, by the way, but the moratorium on the game you. in World 1 Stage 1 means that we haven't actually lost the game. And that's true. So, listeners, you just won the game. But the interesting thing exactly is the point of right of first sale. Yeah, because the secondhand market has existed for a very long time in all media. Secondhand records, secondhand CDs, secondhand books, secondhand video games, secondhand cars, as you houses. were saying. <laughs> houses, yes, admittedly. You know, there's always mm. this second, I've got this thing, I don't want it anymore. Mm, because there has always been the case of when you own a physical property, you can sell that physical property, whatever it is, because it's in your possession. Correct. Now, this started to be subverted in software very early on. Uh, I remember Adobe were a classic for this. Uh, when you bought Creative Suite with Photoshop, Dreamweaver, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. it would include a shrink-wrap license. Oh, shrink-wrap licensing. Uh, the If you open the shrink-wrap, you agree to these terms and conditions. Oh, that's mean. Which is no different, really, to by clicking continue in the install box, oh, you agree Eula. to these terms and conditions. It's the same concept. But doesn't it feel different? Oh, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it, it takes the element of control away. It does. There's no choice. And uh, the shrink wrap license basically said, by opening the shrink wrap, you agree to the, agree, uh, to the contract that you do not own this software. You have a license to use it granted to you by Adobe, and it, it is revocable. Huh. And this leads to a problem. If you, you create a suite, it's incredibly expensive. And this is why True they do story. it. It's hundreds and hundreds of pounds. I, I speak as one of the minority in the world who has legitimately bought Creative Suite. Fair play. Can I, can I get a high five <laughs> on that one? There's uh, a high five there. I mean, even still, I bought the educational license because it was when I was doing my photography degree. Right. It was still hundreds of pounds. Now, the only way that market is sustainable is if they kill the secondary market. Because if I had been sat there and going, I could buy the educational license for hundreds of pounds of CS4. No, CS3 is the one I bought. Or someone's 50 quid CS2 on eBay. I would have gone for the eBay option. Now this is where it becomes interesting. However, Adobe can go to eBay and say, you can't sell that. They don't own it. It's not theirs to sell because of our licensing structure. So they maintain a seconds free market where they can charge whatever the hell they want. And that is why digital distribution 
has a downside. That secondary market exists as an anchor on prices. It makes utterly perfect sense, but it makes me feel so wrong. Yeah. It's one of those things that I can totally understand why they do it. But it feels grubby, almost. No, I... I gotta admit, in the conversation earlier, I I put my hands up and said, I'm gonna play devil's advocate because I agree with particularly the idea that publishers should get something out of what they what they are giving to us for a you know, for a fee. What, I don't disagree with you there, yeah. but I do support the secondary market. If someone told me, here is a car with a shrink wrap license that you can't resell this car when it depreciates. But but that's ex- I mean that's what becomes so weird because I I totally think that the the second hand gaming market is it's it's bizarre. It becomes this case of am I selling this game am I, am I digital rights, you know, cuz I'm standing in, you know, the store of selling these games. And I'm thinking I host a gaming podcast where we talk about these games that I'm I'm handing over now. Yeah. Do I still own them? I've got them on Steam, but there goes the physical copy. It becomes ah, it's a mind fuck. Where <laughs> where does the minefield of digital rights distribution and the benefits that we get and the downsides to the publishers begin? Because I got to admit gaming, I really want to support the publishers. And then a business model like Steam, like EADM, like PlayStation Network xbox live arcade that supports the indie publisher and that's really where it becomes interesting the indie publisher because those guys work fucking hard they work hard for no return Mm -hmm. at first and i really want to see them i want to see them come out yeah and i want i've bought a couple of indie games you know here and there misadventures of pt winterbottom which is astounding it's a lovely game the (laughs) curious gentleman is that the name of the studio which did them i think so yeah I thoroughly recommend to all of our listeners to go and check out PB Winterbottom. Um, but the fact remains is that I, I feel differently about purchasing a game from an indie publisher over Steam than I do about purchasing one from Valve or EA or whoever the fuck. Yeah. Because I know that it, it's weird because EA doesn't need my business. No. And I know across 10,000 people, if we all thought EA doesn't need my business, they wouldn't <laughs> sell anything. But I have legitimately purchased so many games on Steam. But I mm. think it, it enters this bizarre and curious realm of the, the demo, you know, the, the downloadable, the smidgen. Where is that just a demo and where is that suddenly an unlock once I pay the money? Yeah. Where does digital rights come in? Where is the fact that I can't give this away? It, it's bizarre. Well, it is an industry. The video game industry fundamentally is the, it is the front line of the war against the consumer rights. This, this mm. new war. Yeah. And it's well, not just video games, but software. Yeah, the war against consumer rights. Software has been the front line for some time. I mean, digital rights management, DRM. Three very familiar words. And if you look at they've they've occasionally tried to put this into a CD or a DVD. And there was, um, oh, I forget the name of it, but some system that they used to put on VHS tapes, which meant they were harder to copy. And it's never it, worked. Never, never really, worked. no. It's existed in that arena a little bit in the background somewhere, 
for a long time. But in software... It's because it's difficult. It's much more difficult to copy software. Yeah. If you can easily get rid of it, you will. Yes. But Would you say it's, it's harder to copy software or to break DRM? I'd say it'd be the break DRM, actually. You say it's harder to break the copy protection on a CD than it is to copy Well, no, because DRM applies to software as well. Oh. It's the same things on software. Ah, oh, yeah. So it does it depend on what implementation of DRM you're looking at. Because uh, on the computer, it's always been the case of that's where the rootkits exist. Mm-hmm. That's where the secure ROM and things like that. And it's getting to the point now where um, the DRM included with a video game is so sophisticated that it will look to see how many physical slots there are on your motherboard that could support an optical drive compared to how many optical drives your computer thinks it has to detect virtual drives like Daemon Tools or Alcohol 120%. I don't know what you're talking about. I do. <laughs> okay, in, in the PC term, you can create a virtual drive. I, a, I, I, I feel I was oversimplifying. I was being mm, sarcastic in yes. the event of piracy. But Because um, there are legitimate reasons to use these tools as well. True. And that is where the problem arises. There are perfectly legitimate reasons for these tools. I have... A, um, an image of every disc I legitimately own uh, because it is far easier for me to right-click and select mount than to go to my shelf, pick up a drive, uh, pick up a box, get a disc out of it, put it in the drive and wait for it to boot up. And there is nothing remotely illegal about that because you've purchased that software. Well, it's a grey area. Is I've it? agreed to licenses that say I won't do that. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. You've agreed- Hang on, because... That actually just throws me for a loop for a second. You've agreed to licenses that say you will not use third party uh, to access the... Yes, I will not. Wow. Yeah, and also there is, in America especially, a law that says any act you take to circumvent a copyright protection system, legitimately or otherwise, is illegal because it is circumvention of copyright. So whilst it seems legitimate, it might be illegal. So I'm, I'm confessing right now. I have a backup of every software I own, for convenience sake. Correct. Uh, but they will refuse to run because they'll go, we've detected a virtual drive on your computer, therefore you're a pirate, therefore I'm going to shut down. No, I can, I can, I'd just like to, you've confessed. I'd like to go, yeah, actually I know Simon, he does own a shit ton of software, <laughs> I'm looking at it. Hell, I go check my Steam profile, which is public, you'll notice there's 101 games listed on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I mean, all those DVDs on my shelf as well are backed up on my media center for instant access Terabytes as well. Terabytes of information you've yep. got on your media PC. I, I love the digital age in some regards. Right. And hate it in others. But yeah, that DRM only gets in my way because I'm trying to play along. You know, it's DRM never hampers the pirate because the first thing the pirate does is strip the DRM off the software. Right. DRM only ever hampers the legitimate user by coming across some weird use case that it doesn't recognize and thinks is piracy, and then it will prevent your software from working. You don't have Windows 95, you have Windows 98, Star Trek Borg will not run. Yeah, we're going to be dickish about this. And software has been the front line for this war for a very long time. And my problem is this has set a precedent. That this is now acceptable to put in these massive restrictions into what someone can do. Mm -hmm. And there's a little thing called the analog hole which is the fact that 
the reason we talked about it before, they've never really gone after videos and music in the same way as software with DRM, is because there has always been the analog hole. No matter what you do to a CD player, you could still plug a cable in the headphone jack and copy off of that. Right. Because the music's got to get out there somehow. But things are becoming more and more digital. You look at my setup there and how I watch DVDs. And it's currently going from an Xbox 360 through a component channel into my TV. Right. That's the analog hole. Component out is analog and could be copied freely. PS3 sat next to it. HDMI. Mm. <laughs> no fuck is copying that. On HDMI purpose. is a new cabling format that supports video, audio, and data all on the one cable. So, wildly convenient. Incredibly easy to plug in. It only fits in one way, and there's only one cable. That's actually great. Yeah. I love that. Mm. It's, it's simple plug and play. But it means the whole system is digital end-to-end. There's no analog hole. And now, thanks to HDCP, thanks to some Blu-ray um, stuff coming in, that kind of DRM is becoming involved in all media. Without the user ever having realized it, I think, is mm-hmm. the important yep. part of that. It's Absolutely. Because it's such a specialized area. People don't know. No. And TV broadcasts, well, the analog signal's being turned off. Digital end-to-end. Mm. Everything is going digital. And once it's digital, DRM steps in. And DRM, I think, is the biggest menace of the digital age. Yeah. And it's, it's completely understandable that content creators want to protect their content. I don't, think I don't think there's anything unreasonable about that. No. But it's not a perfect science. I think it's when publishers gain more control over what's controlled mm. than the uh, distributor. Not distributor. The distributor rather than the publisher. Yeah. That's yeah. where the problem comes from. I'd agree with that. Yeah. EA. <laughs> well, even to hold them up as kind of the bad guys of this scenario, I think you know I pay a license fee to the BBC every month. Yep, they make te- television I don't even watch. Honestly, I only watch um, uh, the only thing I watch on the BBC now is QI and Mock the Week. But come on, and it's DRM. If the signal is truly going digital, they can they can monitor what you're watching. That it is that simple. Oh, they do anyway. Why can't yeah? Why can't they trim down your license fee to reflect your watching habits? If I because it's cut not my in their interest. <laughs> ex- no, it, it's, that's it, ma- the it makes perfect sense. They should do, but they won't because not enough people care enough. And if so. I could just pay for Doctor Who, in all honesty, I watch enough BBC that I feel my license fee is entirely justified. Because I mean, you watch a, a, I don't. a vast variety of television. You are a very interesting person to turn to and go hey tv what's that like i at the don't moment? actually watch that much um in terms of drama entertainment that sort of thing but with the bbc i do watch question time i do watch a lot of political broadcasting i do watch a lot of their news i, I do watch, watch a lot of f1 <laughs> i watch the formula one on bbc and i watch doctor who actually, i'll watch now Mark i think the week. It, i'll I watch have fine. i got news for you i'll watch qi i watch a lot from the bbc in fact in terms of television produced in this country i don't watch anything from anyone else but would you say, I mean, this is, to, just to bring it up again, would I you say also, that the license fee is a rudimentary form of DRM? Not DRM, no, it's tax. No? No, because the DRM is the protection. Yeah, the, the it's the protection. prevention of copying. Bailiffs will, oh, 
Copying specifically, yeah, all right. Yeah, that's really what it is. Huge guys come around your house and stealing <laughs> your telly. Uh, the BBC do use do DRM in um, uh, the iPlayer. Not very well. Sorry, admission of guilt. <laughs> no, don't do it. Uh, they that. do use DRM, but that's another thing. I, I believe my license fee supports uh, Radio 4, which I listen to a lot. It supports the, the website. The news the, website, the which website I use a lot. I've, I use a lot. Mm, I, yeah. I think the, the license fee is a separate issue. It's existed long before the digital age. Okay, I, 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 I'm almost sorry to bring it up. I, mean, I thought it was relevant <laughs> to DRM and kind of... No, no, I, I get where you were coming from there. And it's, uh, in a way, it's a precursor. It's a predecessor. Yeah. I suppose. Well, I suppose at the very beginning... It is licensing... Yeah, you were paying for the right to own a television to receive the BBC mm. broadcasts. And yeah. when they were the only content distributors on the television network... <laughs> they had a monopoly, yeah. Yeah, they... Wow. They were kind of the precursor to the mm. DRM. In a way. All right, very... I, I'm, all, I'm glad... I take it back. I'm glad <laughs> to have bought up the license fee. Because mm, before that, mm. there was nothing like that. Yeah. At there all. was Edison reciting the alphabet. <laughs> But I I brought up Steam to a friend of mine the other night, uh, completely out of nowhere while we were talking on Steam I Am, admittedly. But we were saying, who would have thought Steam would have got to this point? Because you were talking about how Half-Life 2 required online activation through Steam. Right. And at the time, that was a huge pisser. It yep. was like, well, fuck you, Valve. And no one had the broadband connection, so it was like, you want me to download how much? Over the internet? Oh, that, that sounds what, like a good idea. Four, five years ago? A while ago. Half-Life 2, about. Yeah. Sort of, I'll say five years as benchmark. And, you know, it was a case of, well, that sounds really inconvenient, having to download that much data online, and having to be online to play. Oh, what are you talking about? And Who there's just going to be this wrapper running around my game, slowing it all down. This sounds like a terrible idea. Who do you know these days who still has dial-up? Actually, I know a couple of people. I really? Do, I do yeah. know a guy who's still got dial-up. I bring it up mostly as a kind of a case of, you know, this is this is what has made Steam, mm. is this is what has made it work. No, but that's, with me, that's an exact, an exact point. My internet used to be absolutely terrible. That's true, I, yeah, I you broadband. couldn't even get a megasecond, even though you had broadband, I had, yeah. I had broadband, my speed was, it's actually done it again, it's dropped mm. down to 0.3 megabits yeah. all of the time. It's yeah. terrible, I can't play on Xbox Live, I can't even talk to people mm. on Skype or anything. It doesn't hold the connection. <clears throat> but the moment they fixed it, for like, it was a, about a month, it yeah. ran well. I don't know why it's gone again, but it did. And they, um, I immediately got Steam and downloaded everything. <laughs> because I could. <clears throat> because of the convenience. I remember when Steam was new, uh, I bought the Half-Life Complete package. Immediately it became available. And you know, I very quickly started amassing a large number of games. But like Mike, I had terrible broadband, so I couldn't really download them. And I remember taking my laptop into the office, because I worked at a um, web provider at the time, and plugging into the big <laughs> pipe, just going click, whomph, and filling my laptop with every game on Steam. <laughs> but it's, it's, Which was beautiful. <laughs> Do you still have an access there? No, I don't. Sadly not. Uh, but, and we were talking, who would have thought that Steam has now become... The de facto way of doing business. Not only that, but it's he and I agree it's our favourite social network. It's our most used instant messenger. 
I don't use anything else. Not in my case. I mean, I, yeah, I'm coming out of nowhere. I use a lot of different IMs. That's why I use, I use a lot of different ones. I, yeah. I use Adium, which is the same thing as Trillium, because it's yeah. got my Hotmail, my Yahoo, my Skype, my Google Talk, all packaged into one. But I just run Trillium yeah. and Steam. Steam. Yep. I, shit. Mm. Who would have thought? Steam is now, it's not key to my social life, but if I fancy a bit of multiplayer gaming, there is a list of my good friends friends and what they're playing. And, you know, Steam, friends who own this game. Yeah. Friends who are playing this game right now. I think it was a big pisser at the time when everybody went, oh my God, I've got to go online to activate Half-Life 2. It was a a (laughs) moan. It was a bitch. Well, yeah, it's like, I still hate games for windows live oh yeah because it's badly yeah. implemented do you know what i hate <laughs> i purchased dawn of war 2 yeah on, on steam and it's got games and for windows games live, live built on in on it and it's this clunky interface uh, but i i bitch enough yeah but yeah. it was something he brought up was steam was what games for windows live is yeah this annoying layer through of which we had to get through to get to the game we wanted as yeah. he said it's some fucker standing between me and my counter-strike yeah, because it was that era. Oh yeah, um, and it was absolutely true. But now, it's an essential. Now it's go online. All right, uh, you know the the first page that loads when you click, you know, is store.steampower.com. <laughs> and but no, is it a reflex? Yes, you start Steam. You're looking, oh, what's on special today? Yeah, and you just you just glance because and goddamn them for having that special box in the top <sighs> right because you immediately go ooh. That special box is it's, the death of my bank account. It really oh, is. It's not the special box. It's the top sellers. Because I always, I always look at the specials and I go, right, what's what's selling? I think at the you moment? have more free money than us. No. We look at the specials. Uh, you look at the top sellers. I look, at to, I look at top sellers because I'm like, what? what? He has no impulse. It's he has a job. Topics. He has a job. I have yeah. a full time job, and <laughs> it's paying me incredibly well. Which is, uh, yeah, um, they wouldn't hire me. I hate you. I'm bewildered as that, but that's another topic. I'll sit around yours one day and fill out the forms properly, and you can tell me exactly how to get a job. It's got nothing to do with forms. It's interview mostly. But I shut up. I'm talking about how much I love Steam. Let no. them talk. Let them talk. I've been drinking pretty heavily. I don't remember why I love Steam. Steam is amazing. Ah, no, that it is. That it's come up a couple of times. Yeah, we've talked about the pros and cons. Mm. We're talking about the biggest pro of all. Why is an online digital rights management program amazing? Convenience. Mm. That is what has made Steam the big fucking It's a combination of convenience and reasonable prices. Yeah, that was the big bit for me was I didn't have to pay £40 for the game. It was $29.99. And if you wait a week, it'll be on sale. Yeah. Oh, Mafia 2. Valve have now established... I know that still winds you up. But it bugs Valve so have much. established this market position where they are not only the de facto way of doing business now, but they are pushing it to a point where they can say, oh, by the way, the Mac is now a gaming platform. Yeah. Uh, we're going to release on the Mac. And everyone else goes, oh, okay, uh, yes, we'll do that then. And they are pushing it to say, look, We've now statistically proven that if you do these big discounts for a limited time, you make big sales. And they're starting to dictate a new business model. 
another example, Steam exclusives. Mm-hmm. Now, you've yep. got chronodynamic armor on your Star <laughs> Trek Online account. Yep. Because you purchased through Steam. However, that's there's also GameStop exclusives, EB exclusives, True. Amazon exclusives. That has become a de facto way of doing business. Fallout New Vegas, as mm. another example. I, I bring Steam up mostly as the example because it's what so many of us use, which yep. is kind of the point you're making right now. Yeah. But how many publishers are immediately willing to go, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include this little extra, or I'm yeah. going to make someone go through Steam for X. Although that predates Steam, you know, the, that the, was just elect- fighting. the electronics boutique versus the GameStop special has been a, a long-standing thing. Really? Yeah, it is, really is that has. more a US thing or a... Um, no, it's, it it's, was quite big around here. Yeah. Like when I got my Game Boy Color, it was the electronics boutique one, which I bought, yep. over the Game Station one. Had, it was because it came with a free mm. viewer. Thing it's like it. Arkham Asylum um, came out with different exclusives in different bricks-and-mortar high street stores yeah. and different exclusives for the online games as well. So that, that's a long-running thing. But that, that becomes fascinating to me. That Because mm. obviously, you know, we don't have... Do we have Electronics Boutique over here? We don't. We do did. We? we did. We did. You know, but, the little game shop, it used to be Electronics Boutique. Yeah, yeah game, we, basically Game bought Electronics Boutique and then bought GameStation, and now they have a monopoly again. But the thing yeah. is, um, Walmart comes up. Mm. Presently, you know, there are Walmart Star Trek Online exclusives. I, yeah. I use this mostly as the example. Because... All of a sudden, there's a brick-and-mortar example of what you can get if you buy this game. But then you go to Steam, and what do you get if you buy this game? And they're not comparable. They're just different. Mm. And that's where it's like, well, you still, as the consumer, have a choice. These exclusives put a a bizarre spin on DRM because (laughs) all of a sudden it's not. I have to go through Steam to get chronodynamic armor. It's... Well, I want to go through Walmart because then I'll get the uh, the Constitution class as an unlock. The ridiculous thing is I know people who have bought more than one copy of Star Trek Online and registered the serial number on the same account oh. so that they get multiple of the special offers on the single character. And then the seesaw happened. Well, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't bother me because they're spending more money, they're giving more yeah, money no, to the publishers. Yeah, no, absolutely. They are buying the exclusives. They're buying the things. It's yeah. not a problem. Buying and exclusives is always a bonus to the publisher. This is another thing. The whole DLC concept of buy little things, microtransactions, is good and bad. The good, as we were just saying, the yep. C store, the cryptic store, if I want to play more characters on my account than I have a limit for, I can buy four more Yeah, for a small sum of money as compared to what it used to be, mm. Star Wars Galaxies and Matrix Online, both of them, in fact, I played more characters than I had character slots for and bought two copies of the game. Oh. And ran, for a little while, two subscriptions. Oh. It's a hell of a lot more convenient to pay once to have four more character slots in Star Trek Online. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing. That's a huge bonus. And Kazon specifically asked us, you know, what is the genesis, what is the purpose of DLC? And the genesis is certainly in ubiquitous connectivity, the same as Steam. Yeah. The fact that they foresaw, well, actually, uptake is growing. Everyone's going to have broadband really soon. We can build a business model on this. Because to patch a video game used to be a big fucking deal. Yeah. And do you remember patching Doom? Because I do. (laughs) It was discs in the mail. Yep. 
<laughs> and even when it Fat. started to become downloads, you know, I remember a time when there were a couple of hundred meg patches online. 1.44 KBS. And a big deal was that the magazines would include the latest patches for the biggest games on the CD. So Oh, right I remember there. That. Yeah. Yep. So it was like, oh, thank God they've put it on disc. I don't have to download it for three days. Yep. I don't have to make sure that nobody makes a phone call on this fucking yeah. line. So patching was a big fucking deal, which meant that if there was content that wasn't finished when the game went out, it wasn't in the game. Yeah. They weren't going to fanny about adding extra megabytes onto their download just so you could have an extra level or an extra character or half of Toonstruck. Yeah. Which By was the upsetting. way, we'll, we'll bring it up in the forums, I think, because yeah. that is something that which totally deserves attention. Oh, yes. W, uh, yeah, World 1, Stage 1 listeners. Oh, yeah. Um, now, however, with broadband being fairly ubiquitous, if there's a character or a level or um, a bit of equipment that you know would be cool, um, but either you think of too late or you don't have time to get to or it's causing a few issues with version 1, you know it can be added later. For free or for microtransactions. And some games start building a business model on this. Uh, well, that three comes to mind. As a, mm. as a specific example of, you know, we... Uh, Mothership Zeta, yeah. I think, was an example of... We had the art assets for this. Mm. But this is... Because it came out last. And it yeah. was the one where they went, look, we, we have the art assets, we have the know-how, and we've yeah. done this story... But we need to know that the microtransaction market is going to work. Mm. I think that is the large reason why Zeta came out last. And of it's, all the DLC. Not, it's not just the ubiquitous broadband. Everyone has the speed to download these things now. It is Steam and Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Network. It is a platform that makes it easy for the publisher and easy for the consumer to have a file download and integrate itself. Because uh, I try to get the... Um, DLC for Fallout through Games for Windows Live. And right. it was a fucking chore. Was it a rigmarole? It really was. But it's then a terrible system. It is. Games <laughs> for Windows Live is not good. But then DLC within um, Mass Effect 2. So simple. Just click and have it. Yeah. Mm. So it's having all of this platform there. Steam developed a platform where patches would download and integrate automatically. Well, now we have this content delivery system, yeah. we can start adding extra content as well as patches, because DLC is just a patch. And it used to be that patching was a big deal and took people out of uh, took time out of people's day and they actually had to work out how they were going to do it. Were they going to buy a magazine with a cover disc or were they going to spend forever online and had to really think about it. Now, patching happens in the background whilst you're not paying attention. Steam starts automatically when my PC updates. Mm -hmm. I will get a brief blip of Team Fortress 2. Uh, Team Fortress 2? What's happening Duh? to me? TF2 <clears throat> is downloading. Really? Is it? Uh, okay. Mm. I'll go load my favorite websites if Team Fortress 2 has finished. Oh, cool. Okay. And I'll tell you what really did it. To my mind, this is the biggest thing that introduced DLC. Right. Hard drives and consoles. Yeah. Yeah, where suddenly it wasn't just a game on the disc. Yep, because pre that concept, it was on the disc or it was not in the game. And the you disc had was there as a save one game. chance to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of PC ports from console games were just straight ports. Yeah. They didn't say, well, I'll tell you what, this is on the PC, so let's 
make patches explicitly for this and then extra downloadable content. No, because then all the console gamers would go, fuck you, which they do a little bit with Team Fortress 2 anyway, but that's another matter. Yes, I yes. do. <laughs> oh, yes, you have Team Fortress 2 on the on the Xbox, don't you? I was forced to buy it on Steam <laughs> to play it with you, and then the day after I bought it at full price on Steam, it was on sale for 50% off, and it made me scream <laughs> so loud. Awesome. Uh, but, yeah, now that there is a hard drive, and now that there is, again, that platform in place that makes patching easy. I put in the disc, it says, there is an update available for this game. Press A. Yeah. Press A. Isn't that just the most amazing thing? <laughs> Fix all the problems that we know about on your game. Press A. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay, restart your Xbox, because some serious shit just happened. You don't yep. even fucking know about. <laughs> uh, all right, restart. Okay. Play. And Go. then they're, they're like, well, okay, this this... This delivery system now exists on all the platforms we release on. This has enabled a new business model. Mm. Now, there are two ways to look at this business model as well. This came up before we started recording. I forgot we hadn't actually, we hadn't actually got this recorded. Yeah. Which is DLC, on the one hand, can be great if it's done like Fallout, where they're actually putting new content together and selling it at a reasonably low price. And Correct. Uh, or the Shadow Broker in Mass Effect 2. Great DLC at a good price. What you get is good. Or you have Horse Armor in Oblivion, which is... What was that? Tiny, ridiculous things, and that feels like developers ringing you for that every penny. That was the penny. first step. That, yeah. was, that was the first step of the nickel and dime method of, mm-hmm. of DLC. But even that is not, to my mind, as bad, and I know you disagree, which is why I'm bringing it up, as, say, the Cerberus Network, which is, like I say, it's another death of the first sale, because Mass Effect 2 came with a one-time-use code in the manual to download the Cerberus Network, the add-on through which you can get more DLC. And the first person who buys that on the Xbox or the PC gets to use that code. And then it goes into the second-hand market, that disc, and the second person who buys it has to pay a tenner. For the Cerberus mm. network, which is the developer's way of monetizing the second-hand market. I understand their desire to do that, but what we were talking about before, if you have a physical copy to sell, I want to sell the product. I don't want to sell the product and the obligation to give more money to the guy I bought it from. That's not what I want to sell someone. Uh, that speci- It's specifically the way you say it's an obligation to give the guy more money because I, th- I think that's where it becomes a gray area. And I, 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 will, I will stand up and say, you know, I think right of second sale becomes a very incredibly complicated topic. Mm. The Cerberus Network, specifically in Mass Effect, gives me a very good example because I don't think, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with the developer turning around and going to the first person that buys here is a brand new game. Mm. Here is a brand new game, a brand new car, a brand new house. Yep. It is yours to enjoy in its pristine format. We will give you everything we can. And I, everything we can is probably a good example, uh, sorry, a terrible example <laughs> with a, a, a computer game because there's so much in the way of DLC. Yeah. But I think <sighs> in the case of DLC, where they go, Cerberus Network, first time buyer, and you pay a premium for that game. Mm. If you then turn around and you, go to Alexandre's Boutique, Game Station, wherever you mm-hmm. buy your second-hand games for, you get that game cheaper than anybody else does. Yeah. Fact. Ex- yes. Y- you, 
I was about to turn around and say, well, actually, in the case of some new release games, you're not getting any cheaper than anybody else, in which case, buy it new, support the publisher. <laughs> I'll totally agree. Yeah, by and large, buy a game new. That's just a matter of uh, personal preference. But mm. if I'm if I'm strapped for cash, or if I just want a game cheap, I'll buy it through other channels. And the fact remains, if I've bought it cheap, I'm not really upset like the Cerberus network is missing because... Mm. The Cerberus network, as an example, is not critical to the game's function. And that is where we differ, because I I see what you buy should be a packaged whole, yeah. should be a product. If it's there, you should be able yeah. to have it. Um, licensed software downloaded online, different matter. But when it's a physical disc that I buy, take home, and it's in a box... That should be the whole product contained within their whole and inseparable from its parts. But and my okay. argument would be, a developer wants to monetize the secondhand market. Okay, I completely understand that desire. Correct. But if someone's buying a secondhand copy of your game, that's because one of your primary market didn't want to keep it. Make your game compelling enough that people won't be done with it. And that's how you kill the secondary market. It's sort of the penalty you have to pay for not making a sticky game. I now that's a that's a tough one. That's an incredibly tough one because I think make your game compelling so people won't resell it. Now that's that's a fairly broad statement to make because I sold a lot of my games based mostly on the fact not because I wanted to, I I just want to get rid of this game. You know, mm. The fact remains, I still own Dragon Age on Xbox. Yeah. My Xbox doesn't work. I could have sold it. <laughs> I didn't because I fucking love that game. Yeah. And I st- I, I'm going to eventually buy an Xbox again. Yes. In the meantime, it would be cheaper for me to just go and buy it on, on uh, Steam because I'm going to have a PC working in yeah. the meantime. But I own it on Xbox and I think that's... The concept of your your consumer doesn't want this anymore because it's not good enough or mm. because it's not entertaining or for whatever reason. Doesn't apply to 100% of cases of the secondary market. Right. I admit that. It, which is does apply to the larger part of the market. The majority, yes. Look at the secondhand market and you will notice that the games that are most abundantly available on the secondhand market are what we would consider B titles. Oh, the trend is, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The better the game is, the less often it is seen secondhand and the later it becomes available secondhand. That's true. I, I, I won't dispute that either. Mm. Yeah, but one thing that we've not talked about is modding. Yeah. About what has DLC done to modding? Because on the Sims 1 mm. that I remember, was if you wanted anything extra, you just popped online, you got a free mod that somebody's developed. And funnily enough, Sims was what I was thinking of earlier when I said that there are companies who are now building a business model on this. Mm-hmm. But it was, as a precursor to DLC, it was in The Sims 2 mm. when you bought the extra stuff packs, which yes. came in the discs, which was cool. But on The Sims 1, I got it for free. <laughs> but also, <laughs> that's The Sims the big 2 point. still supported the mod network, didn't it? Because yes, it, it did as well. You yes. could buy... The you know you could buy the kind of official game packs. Somebody but wants to talk now. By and large, <laughs> there was still a community where if you just typed in on Google, "Give me X for The Sims," you'd find it. And I'll tell you what's mm. very interesting is, it's DRM has killed the mod. Yeah, because I've been in 
the mod community since Doom, since making my own Doom wads. Doom. Oh, wads um, files. Wad oh, files. Yeah. Um, and what it is now is um, all code, especially downloaded DRM signed code, is signed with um, these digital signatures. That means if the files are altered in any way, the server freaks out that it's probably a pirate copy because it's been altered and won't run. So you can't mod. Because hmm. I've just, it just, it occurred to me as you were discussing that mm. after The Sims 2, I lost all signs of modding. I know there are some bits for The Sims 3. Yeah. But because. Very little. It's, it's, it's much harder. Not as much. It's much harder to work it's with The Sims 3. It's very quickly, uh, with not much talk, been killed off completely. Yeah. And in shooters, it has become less and less a de facto thing that your game is moddable. There are still some bastions there. I mean, Valve are great. Their yep. in-house products are very modifiable. Mm-hmm. So Civilization V, the uh, the mod, sorry, the uh, SDK toolkit mm. is going live as a download free yes. for those owners of the game. Yeah, the, the SDK is DLC. Uh, ah, <laughs> TLAs, too many. But no, it's that is really interesting that it's um, people are giving away the ability to modify games for uh, publishers are giving away consumers' ability to modify games for security. Mm. What's that Franklin quote? But ah yes, uh, any <laughs> any civilization who would which give away a little for liberty security. for a little security deserves, deserves neither. neither and will have neither. Yep. or they're enough. But I also I now I. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate on this one because I agree and disagree with the following statement. I think that giving up the ability to mod has also given us DLC. Yeah. I think that DLC and modding has come about mostly as a desire of what players want to see in the game, and DLC largely gives us what we want. Mm. I, and I know it's not, it's not a correct statement. It's mm. not entirely right. Horse armor. DLC Horse, gives us yeah. what the developers think we want to see. Right. Modding gave us what we did. Yep. Picking the best free mods and selling yeah, them. Yeah, there are examples such as The Sims where they will um, build their business model by analysis of the mod market. Um, then again, Valve employed the guys who did Narbacula Drop and told them to make portals. So, yeah, very similar. But yeah. mods were definitely... It was democratisation. Right, it was the users creating what was wanted and needed. And whilst it's become easier for people to make independent projects commercially, it's become harder for them to do it voluntarily. Right, and th- th- that's what I mean. I'll even agree with that. Mm. I, th- I think the the mod and the DLC have become strangely not synonymous, but they they <laughs> occupy a bizarre position. Well, they're a very mm. similar concept. It's just right. one is the commercialization of the other. But then at the same point, it's just reminded me, then, what is Forge in Halo? It's, uh, it's a level editor. It's a level editor, but you can, you can edit more than levels. You can change all of the rules of the game. Hmm. It's more akin to the modding? mutators is in it? Unreal Tournament, again, uh, yeah, okay. uh, than it is to modding. Because there's no alteration of the code going on. So what it's the illusion of freedom, because it allows you to change things within the parameters they give you. Mm. There's no suddenly, right, I really liked Team Fortress 2. I'm going to make space marines in Team Fortress 2. (laughs) By the way, totally check out their mod. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I've not seen this. It oh, is, it's amazing. It is Space Marine power armor running around in Team Fortress 2. With the exception of the scout uh, and the sniper, who uh, are the scout and the sniper heads on uh, scout armored bodies. Yep. <laughs> and also some weapon mods, like Heavy is carrying a heavy bolter instead of um, Sasha. Right, I'll get this later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean that kind of creativity and that kind of random off the wall stuff mm. is what killing off mods is getting rid of, and but we're Valve's we're getting on. yeah. So it's, it's a weird one. Valve yeah. are smart in making their games downloadable, but support mods. Oh, absolutely, because the mod community is what gives a single player game continu- a, a continual marketplace position. Doom. Doom. Half-Life. <laughs> Doom, I'd say, uh, Doom more than Half-Life. People still play it with mods today. All right, uh, true. But how many people still pay for Doom? Uh, I bought it when it was available on Steam again. Yeah, so did I. So, did I. so yeah, quite a few people, I imagine. <laughs> right, rock and roll! So, yeah, you say that, but we all bought it again. Yeah. Well, judging by our sample set, 100% of people have bought Doom. <laughs> our sample set is three dudes who all... Like, use Steam. Yeah. But if you take a cross-section of the market, we fall into most categories of people. So you can You're say it's weird. You cross, you cross the streams, dude. I do. You do. Napoleonic simulators and Call of Duty. There go, go team. So yeah, DLC and digital distribution have their origins in the, the increasing availability of broadband internet mm. and the desire for developers to sort of not let go of their product once it's out of the door. They can continue to improve, continue to work on it. Right. And what it's given us on, on the upside is an incredible amount of convenience, uh, a range of options like we've never seen before in terms of indie development and indie content and stuff like that. But what it's taken away from us is ownership, in a literal sense, yeah. So there you go. I think that's that's wrapped it up and nicely. If anyone in... wants more to argue about, there's the forums. Yeah, please. I, there is a thread there already. Started by Kays on Nistrom. Jump in. Join the conversation. This is actually really interesting. I really do want to delve into it. It is a fascinating I've not topic. said a lot, but I'm interested. Yeah, that's because you've been listening. I can tell. You've been sat there absorbing it all. Looking very <laughs> curious. Well, it's because... I'm young, this is normal for me. Yeah, it's what for I said you to you two, whilst di- Troy was out of the old days. We've seen this emerge, mm. you've grown up with it. I, I, I find it normal. I'm not comfortable with it, but I've not got an opinion to the contrary because I don't know to the contrary. Yeah. So I really want to get on the forums and discuss this. Vive la révolution! No. I have been Simon. <laughs> I was Troy. And I was Mike. Goodbye! Bye! That was World 1 Stage 1. Visit our website at world1stage1.com Join our forum, send us an email, or follow us on Twitter at W1S1. And, of course, our thanks go to Power Glove for our theme tune. <laughs>